0: You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, October 21st, 2021. I'm Coda Babcock.
1: And I'm Ellie Shannon.
0: And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, I go over updates in campus news and discuss how Fort Collins police are investigating a deadly crash.
0: After that, Eliza Droder will update us on CSU's athletics. And then I speak to Google representative Andrea Willis about how the company's new products embrace privacy and base themselves off their users' habits.
1: Then Coda tells us about the removal of one component of Biden's infrastructure plan.
0: Then we hear from the Fort Collins Symphony about their 2020 to 2021 season, and I give new information on COVID-19.
1: Coda explains some updates on technology with VR vision treatment and Facebook. To conclude the show, Coda will go over this weekend's weather report.
0: Let's move right into campus and local news.
1: Now on to campus news. The CSU women's volleyball team plays San Diego State Thursday, October 21st at 8 p.m. You can stream the game at CSURams.com or by tuning in to 90.5 FM. Four Colorado State University researchers in earth and atmospheric sciences are among new fellows of the American Geophysical Union, according to Anna Manning of CSU's College News. The AGU is a 62,000-member organization of Earth, atmospheric, ocean, hydrologic, space, and planetary scientists formed in 1919. Fewer than 0.1% of its members are asked to be fellows. These new fellows include Elizabeth Barnes, Richard Astor, Paul DeMott, and V. Chandra, Chandra S- Sakhar. CSU celebrated the grand opening of a cannabinoid research lab on Tuesday, October 19th. The lab, Panacea Life Sciences Cannabinoid Research Center, will test cannabis plants in the 120 different natural cannabinoids the plant produces. For more information, visit collegian.com. The CSU football team is also taking on the Utah State Aggies this Saturday, October 22nd. They'll also be traveling this weekend. Now, on to local news. Larimer County enforced a new mask mandate on Wednesday, October 20th. The mandate has come after a surge of COVID-19 cases and will be in effect in all indoor public places. At around 8.30 p.m. on Monday, a window peeper was seen firing shots at a group of people that confronted him. The suspect was seen in a tree looking into a house near South Shield Street and West Stort Street. And when a group confronted him, he started firing shots and left on a blue bicycle. If you have any information on this, make sure to contact Detective David Guy at 970-416-2026. Fort Collins police are still investigating a crash that left one man dead last Friday, October 16th. Shortly after 7 p.m., police arrived at the scene and an ambulance transported the victim to the hospital, where he shortly died after from his injuries. Police also say it was a 2019 Jeep Wrangler traveling westbound on Harmony Road. Anyone with new information about the crash should contact Officer Ken Koski at 970-416-2229. The City of Fort Collins Homelessness Advisory Committee has recommended that a new 24-7 homeless shelter be a top priority for the city, according, according to J.D. Meltzer of the Collegian. Brittany Depew, the Homelessness Response and Solutions Lead Specialist for Fort Collins, compared a Denver campsite to a space that Fort Collins recently bought that could create a safe space for the homeless during the current pandemic. The completion of development could take roughly three years, but Fort Collins acknowledges that this will not be swept under the rug. Thanks for listening to my campus and local news announcements. I'm Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM.
2: I am DJ Henby and you are listening to 90.5 KCSU for Collins. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. In CSU football news, the team beat the New Mexico Lobos 36-7 in New Mexico. Our rushing leaders were Jalen Thomas with 10 attempts for 38 yards, David Bailey, 21 attempts for 58 yards, and two separate two-yard rushing touchdowns, and quarterback Todd Santeo with 35 rushing yards in 11 attempts. Our top receivers this week, Trey McBride with seven receptions for 135 yards, Ty McCullough with four catches for 77 yards, and Gary Williams with one catch for a 43-yard touchdown. On the defense side, there were six sacks for the Rams. Cameron Carter had five solo tackles, three tackles for 15 yards loss, and two sacks for 11 yards loss. Scott Panchin had six total tackles, three tackles for a nine-yard loss, and two sacks for an eight-yard loss. Quarterback Todd Senteo threw for 289 yards, 16 for 25 in passes, had one touchdown, was sacked four times, and had no interceptions. Their next game will take place on Friday against Utah State in Utah. In women's soccer, the girls won both of their games this weekend, the first one being 3-2 against Nevada at home with goals by Gracie Armstrong, Kristen Noonan, and Caitlin Abrams. In their second game, they went 2-1 against UNLV in overtime with both goals scored by Kristen Noonan. Their next match will be against Utah State on Thursday at 4 p.m. In women's volleyball news, they swept their last two games, 3-0 against the New Mexico Lobos at home and they beat Air Force 3-0. In those games, Jackie Van Liefde was leading with kills. Sasha Colombo led in blocking assists. Annie Sullivan led in total attacks. Sierra Pritchard leading in assists. And Alexa Romeliotis leading in digs. Their next match will be Thursday night against San Diego State. In cross-country in the Nuttycomb, Wisconsin Invitational, the women placed 6th and the men placed 10th. Their next event will be the Mountain West Conference at the end of the month. In women's golf, the girls placed 11th in the Ron Moore Intercollegiate. And in men's golf, the team placed 1st at the Paintbrush Invitational. In women's tennis, the beach tennis tournament just happened. Busakova and Mahajevic won in straight sets to take home the ITA Regional Champs title. In women's swim and dive, the girls won against University of Denver, U-M-A-R-Y, and Colorado State of Mines. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csuram.evenue.net for your chance to get basketball, football, volleyball, swim and dive, tennis, and more. Student tickets are available. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report.
3: Today, I'm joined by Andrea Willis, an expert on the topic of Google
0: technology. We're going to be discussing some of Google's new products. Once again, I'm Koda Babcock, and you're tuned in to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Thanks for joining me today, Andrea.
4: Thanks so much for having me.
0: So before we get into the specifics of each product, uh, would you mind going over the major announcement when it comes to uh, Google's new hardware?
4: Yes. So yesterday we just announced Google's latest phones, the Pixel 6 and the Pixel 6 Pro. These are our most innovative, smartest, fastest phones that we've ever made. So I'm really excited to talk to you about how the phones and our other products can be helpful to your listeners.
0: All right, and then moving specifically into the Google Pixel. um, So the Google Pixel advertises how the phone is able to learn and evolve based on its user. So can you explain how this is different from other phones and what exactly this entails when it comes to the software?
4: Yes. So like we talked about, this is a really smart phone. So that goes from how to take photos to how to help with your day-to-day life. So for instance, a couple of really helpful features Uh, include things like wait times. So we all need to call businesses to see what their hours are, do they carry what we need. This phone is able to determine when the best time is for you to call. So whether you should stay on the line, whether you should call back tomorrow afternoon, for instance, um, based on the wait times. So that's really helpful for specific users And then we also have an awesome feature called Live Translate that I think is really fun for people too. So if you're chatting with a friend or a family member who is texting in a different language, we're able to offer you translations um, so that you can automatically reply in that language, whether it's Italian or Japanese. Um, So it's really fun and to your point, it can be fine tuned to the user.
0: And then moving more into the software end, with the release of Google's new Android 12 operating system, there's a lot of visual changes from the previous Android version, at least from what I was noticing. So can you go over some of these changes?
4: Yes. So for Android 12, um, it's really an intuitive user interface. So for instance, you change the home screen. Um, with a new photo we will automatically change the widgets and the design for people who are, you know, very into aesthetics so that it matches really well. Um, So we're really excited about that interface, just from like a beautiful aesthetic perspective. Um, Things are going to be kind of much more in tune with each other. And then we've also built a new privacy dashboard into our phones. So for instance, if um, you want to know what apps are collecting your data, you can see exactly what that data is, and you can opt in or out of the collection of that data. So we're really excited that from a software perspective, both from an aesthetic viewpoint and also from a security viewpoint, we're really giving our consumers the best to date.
0: So will Android users still be able to maintain the previous edition if they aren't quite ready for that change yet?
4: So you should be able to maintain your previous additions, but the phone does suggest that you automatically update just so that you get the most optimal experience.
0: All right. And then moving into Google's new home security options, can you explain how the Nest Cams are different from other doorbells and cameras like those offered by Amazon or by home security specialty companies?
4: Yes, so our Nest Cam is really smart technology. Um, So whether you want to be in your office, you want to be outdoors on a hike, you know, out and about, you can keep tabs on who's coming to your home. So that's anyone from an animal to a person to a vehicle. Um, And you can get alerts for any of those things if you need to keep tabs. Another feature that we think is really unique and that we're excited about is the speaker function within our cameras. So if there's an intruder or someone that you feel like should not be on your doorstep, you can be anywhere. You get an alert on your phone and you can actually speak out so that the person knows that you are detecting their presence.
0: All right. And then how would you address someone who is nervous about using Google's home security devices due to privacy concerns, since that is super important to Google in general?
4: Yes, privacy is extremely important to us. Um, So I would say, you know, we are not sharing this data. All of the video and audio events that we capture on the home devices are stored locally. So they're staying on that device. We're not sending them anywhere. They require a Google account. Um, So we think that that also helps with the security aspect because it's tying back to your secure Google accounts as well.
0: And then another piece of technology that Google is introducing is the equitable camera. So Google acknowledged how cameras are often made with white skin and other light skin tones as the focus. Can you explain how Google's worked to create a camera that really takes a more diverse and darker set of skin tones into account when creating these images?
4: Yes, this is a feature that we are extremely proud of. It's called Real Tone. And what we did was we worked with experts. So photography experts in the space who capture really beautiful images of people of color. And we got them to test out our camera and to give us real and honest feedback about how to make it better. So that no matter, you know, your skin tone, you're getting the same experience with our camera and getting beautiful shots. So you can use that in our new Pixel 6 phones. It's a feature called auto enhance. Um, And we're really excited for people to use it. It's also gonna be rolling out to our previous phones. Um, So we're really excited um, for people to experience
3: it.
0: All right, and then on the topic of equity, in your opinion, how do you think Google is performing compared to other tech companies when it comes to accessibility and equity?
4: You know, this is always top of mind for us in terms of our products. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about with real tone. So we know that we're building products for you know diverse users across the world. So it's important for us to not only work internally at Google, but to also consult experts just like we did with real tone to ensure that we're being inclusive um, and that we're asking for real feedback about how to improve our products to make sure that people are really represented.
0: And then on that topic of improving products, um, do you think there are any additional steps that Google should take in the future when it comes to working to serve its customer base?
4: You know, technology is always changing. And so I think that's something that we also think about with these new Pixel phones. So a cool feature is that we're going to do automatic software updates every few months. So, you know, oftentimes people you know, buy a new phone every two years because of the rapid pace of technological change. We're trying to get ahead of that by, you know, constantly updating this phone automatically. So we think things like this are a really great investment because, you know, we're committing to working with the user to constantly update the interface versus you having to buy a new phone, you know, every couple of years.
0: And then as a college station, we often like to emphasize working experiences. So would you consider your job to be one where equity and accessibility are also a focus within the workplace as well as within these new technologies?
4: Absolutely. So in addition to our products, we're also constantly trying to help our consumers um, and to bring everyone, you know, to the table, help everyone, um, experience things in an equitable way. One of the programs that we work on is Grow with Google that we're really proud of. This is how we um, provide tools and training to teach people on digital skills. So that's one way that we actually use our products to help people um, learn skills. That's gonna help them grow their skills, their career, their businesses. I think it's great for college students to take a look at. You can go to grow.google.com to learn more Um, because we have a ton of free resources um, to help in areas and to help to learn to use our products better.
0: All right. And then do you have anything that you would like to add about Google or any of these new products today?
4: Yes. If you want to check out more about the products we discussed, you can go to store.google.com.
0: All right. Thank you again for joining me today.
4: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Again, I just spoke to Andrea Willis from Google about their new technology announcements. If you missed any part of this interview, be sure to check out our website at kcsufm.com slash news for the full episode. You can also search KCSU News on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to find full episodes. We'll be right back.
3: I'm DJ Mellotron. Come join me on Up the Hill Backwards, Mondays from 3 to 5 p.m.
0: I
2: happy. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine.
0: And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to National News Highlights for Thursday. President Biden removed two free years of community college from the infrastructure bill, which is currently working its way through Congress. According to Alyssa Nadworny at National Public Radio, this move doesn't necessarily mean it won't be present in a future spending bill. Biden said, quote, I don't know if any major change in American public policy that's occurred by a single piece of legislation, he continued. I'm not going to give up on community colleges as long as I'm president, end quote. Other aspects of the bill involving higher education, like the expansion of Pell Grants, remain in the bill so far. While grants and scholarships often cover the cost of community college, the requirement of the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, also known as FAFSA, is often overly complicated and blocks first-generation college students and other groups from attending college. Offering free community college to all would mean that high school students know they have an option upon graduation to continue their education. Wednesday, the White House announced that children from ages five to 11 years old will be able to receive the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccination if the expected authorization occurs in the next few weeks with the FDA. According to the Associated Press, this would allow pediatricians' offices, pharmacies, and potentially in-school clinics to vaccinate elementary-aged children against the virus. In the meantime, federal officials are meeting over the next two weeks to decide whether Pfizer's vaccine is safe and effective enough for younger children to receive a lower-dose shot. Plans to send out supply of the Pfizer vaccine to pediatricians, along with equipment hours after the approval is expected, have already been prepared. The Centers for Disease Control's advisory panel meets in the beginning of November to discuss the vaccine, during which millions of doses will be sent out. The first children in that age group to get the vaccine are expected to have immunity before the holiday season. Tuesday, Dr. Rachel Levine was sworn in as the first openly transgender person to serve as a four-star officer. According to CNN, Levine is also the U.S. Public Health Service Commissioned Corps' first woman to be a four-star admiral. Levine said, quote, This is a monumentous occasion, and I am honored to take this role for the impact that I can make and for the historic nature of what it symbolizes. She continued to say that her being sworn in was only because of the dedication of LGBTQ plus individuals who'd spent their lives working towards the acceptance and inclusion of transgender people. Nicholas Cruz, the suspect of Major E. Stoneman Douglas High School shooting in Parkland, Florida, pleaded guilty Wednesday. According to Bill Chappelle at National Public Radio, Cruz is facing either the death penalty or life in prison for the murder of 14 students and three staff members at the high school. His defense team is currently working to avoid the death penalty, which NPR says prosecutors are seeking in his case. He faces 17 charges of first-degree murder and 17 additional charges of attempted murder. Cruz is represented by a group of public defenders who asked the court to sentence him to 17 life sentences rather than the death sentence. In his hearing, the names of all 17 victims were read aloud. These names were Alyssa Aldheff, who is fourteen, Scott Beagle, thirty five, Martin Dug Anguano, fourteen, Nicholas Dwared, seventeen, Aaron Feis, thirty seven, Jaime Gutenberg, fourteen, Jamie Gutenberg, fourteen, Chris Hickson, forty nine, Luke Hoyer, fifteen, Carol Logran, fourteen, Gina Malton Talto, fourteen, Joaquin Oliver, seventeen, Elena of Hetty fourteen, Meadow Polak, eighteen, Helena Ramsey, seventeen, Alex Schachter, fourteen, Carmen Shentrup, sixteen, and Peter Wang, fifteen. For those who might just now be tuning in, these are the names and ages of all seventeen victims of the Parkland shooting in twenty eighteen. The perpetrator of the shooting pleaded guilty on all charges. Prior to the shooting, the FBI received two tips about Cruz, had nine one one called on him multiple times. That's all for National News Highlights. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. If you missed any part of our show, make sure to check us out on kcsufm.com slash news, or you can visit us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts by searching KCSU News. Now we're going to be hearing from the Fort Collins Symphony about their upcoming season. The Fort Collins Symphony, led by conductor Maestro Wes Kenny, is coming back to the Lincoln Center on November 6th at 7.30pm for their Energized, Unsure, and Triumphant concert. To better understand what to expect from this concert, I spoke to Wes Kenny just before the first concert in October. The first signature concert of the series was on October 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at the Lincoln Center and explored fury, contemplation, and hope through music. How do you feel this season will really bring your audience back in full swing after a whole year of uncertainty when it comes to symphony performance? You know, that's a
3: great question. You know It's, it's been almost 20 months since we've really had regular concerts. Um, with with a full orchestra. Things, of course, even at this point, continue to change. But, you know, all indications are that people are really excited about being able to hear live music again.
0: Just a few weeks before opening the season, the Fort Collins Symphony held the Brandenburg Concertos. This concert brought out a huge audience, and Wes Kenny tells us more about this.
3: That concert actually lasted two hours and forty minutes, and but you know people were there because you know, they really wanted to hear live music with uh, musicians performing right in front of them. So I think that I'm, you know all things point to a very successful year, just simply because people are craving the sound of live ensembles playing for them again.
0: How do you personally think that music really communicates emotions in ways that other mediums might not be able to? And how do you think that that kind of impacted how much listeners wanted to come back?
3: Being able to, you know, explore the depths of emotions that, you know, any live musical piece. And of course, as I, you know, we were talking about live performance that you don't always just hear it as an aural experience, it is also a felt experience because the vibrations in a concert hall overall impact on somebody who's actually sitting there listening um, along with the emotional content of the music is something that even somebody who is not well versed in classical music can pick up on um, at first listening.
0: And then reflections focuses on the emotions with the music as in the title. So, what do you think has been the main emotion that you felt with planning for the season and working with musicians?
3: One of the first emotions would be just simply hope uh, that hope that this was going to actually happen. And you know, even as we speak, you know, just to be very practical about it, that what's going to happen a month from now? I mean, things are still very much in the air. So, I think that uh, you know, even in our first concert probably refers a little bit more to Jesse Montgomery's banner that is which is her reflections of the national anthem. Um, You know one of the things that we've been thinking about and contemplating along with the pandemic is the cultural unrest that is taking place in this country and when we talk about the broad range of emotions It's not always a comfortable emotion. We bring to you what many people are experiencing and thinking. Rather than playing just a straight version of the National Anthem, we thought we would bring you something that, as I said, is, and you can certainly hear a lot of the National Anthem in this piece, but it's a ride that you wouldn't necessarily expect.
0: What do you think your audience can expect in terms of the overall atmosphere? Will it be a typical symphony season, or do you think that this season will bring a lot more in terms of really forcing an audience to feel a certain way?
3: Right. Well, you know, as I said, you know, we we have turned our programming a lot more to be in line with, you know, what we see in the world. And so, I mean, it ranges from the Debussy prelude in the afternoon of a fawn, which is such a suave uh you know peace with you know with deep intense emotions about you know about longing to the heroic sounds of the beethoven heroica symphony and you know i think that from that regard people would certainly expect to hear beethoven debussy mozart schumann they're going to hear all of that and then sprinkled into that our discovery we've made over the last year. You know, it's fantastic to get somebody like Brian Wallach, who's the new piano faculty at CSU and an international star when it comes to the piano, playing work by uh, Coleridge Taylor Perkinson, who is a middle 20th century black composer, writing a piece that's uh, a reflection of Carl Sandburg's uh, poem, Grass. You know, it, this is such an appropriate piece for, for the time because the poem talks about events that have happened at a particular location. But because people have forgotten, the grass has grown over the, that location. And so much of the event that that was maybe catastrophic or life-changing has been faded into the past. This is what we do, and if I didn't embrace the visceral response of some pieces and the warm blanket that can be presented in others, I wouldn't be doing this. I mean, I, I love what I do. I love getting the most out of musicians, and I love reaching people in such a way that, you know, I can bring a smile to their face, you know, maybe even laughter. And tears as well. Uh, and you know, in a in a world that we live in right now, this is a hearkening back to humanity and who we are as people. And I think it's extremely important uh, that we continue to explore that condition that that we live in. It's it's our ability to connect person to person. And, if, you know, I mean, I oftentimes use the example of have you ever seen two high school students with uh, with smartphones in their hands texting each other while they're standing next to each other. <laughs> and, you know, it's weird. When you think about that, I mean, sure, it, it sounds ridiculous. And yet people seem to be moving more and more into, you know, a shell space where they might be and are much more comfortable communicating with people. Uh, you know, via Zoom or text or or email, rather than actually having a face-to-face conversation. And that's one of the things that what we do in a concert hall uh, is so important. It's just, again, it's connecting all of us together as human beings.
0: In addition to exploring emotions this season, symphony also seeks to work on finding more diverse conductors. Kenny says this is part of an ongoing practice at the Fort Collins Symphony to try and find new artists and diverse artists to display the works of through their ensemble.
3: Programming itself for a season of symphony concerts is an art form because it's not just you know, the topic or the composer that goes into the thought, of course there's the budgets to be worked with. And so, you know, for example, on this first concert with the Bernstein and the Shadrine pieces, these are pieces that are both written for strings and percussion. And so, you know, that's a good budgetary approach and the pieces themselves still are are very interesting um, to go with that. That second concert we have, um, Mendelssohn, um, Brian Walk is also playing the Mendelssohn First Piano Concerto, and then uh, Colin Taylor Perkinson, you know, which is you know a, a piece I discovered this last year, um, and actually Brian learned it for for us. You know, he's a, I mean, this is a composer that is worth listening to, and it's 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 not just that it's uh, it's culturally important, but it's also you know a very very well written piece. And then, of course, the the flip side of that in terms of the the tradition is the Beethoven um, Boca Symphony, which is, of course, one of Beethoven's greatest. You know, when we move into February, our concert is called Solemn, Joyful, and Ecstatic. You know, we have, you know, again, from, from a financial standpoint, the way we're rehearsing this concert is that we have half a concert that is just going to be for our strings. And, you know, one of the most Beloved pieces of Tchaikovsky is his serenade for strings. And so that's one half. And we'll throw the Barbara Adagio for strings on that, which of course is another really famous piece. And on the front end of that, a work by Joan Tower, a, a woman composer who has been writing for orchestras for decades at this point. I mean, you could almost call her a, you know, the dean of you know, women composers, but I don't want to cast her in a lesser light just because she's female. She's a fantastic composer, period. And then another work, a Canadian composer by the name of Oscar Moravec, with his uh, Memorial to Martin Luther King. You know, one of the reasons that we're doing it in February because it's close to Black History Month. And we have a phenomenal cellist who got to know Oscar Morovetz when he was uh, part of the cello section of the Toronto Symphony. Then he became principal in the Vancouver Symphony and then uh, just re- retired, ending his career as the cello professor at the University of Michigan. His name is Anthony Elliott. And we are so looking forward to having him play this most unusual piece, which is for cello solo and then the winds, brass and percussion of the orchestra. And it's a very, very intense piece. And then we move on into March and, you know, we have some Mozart. Um, so, uh, you know, our guest is Otto Carrillo, who is the uh, fourth horn in the Chicago Symphony. Nice connection there. And then, you know, but we also have, you know, works by other Black composed composers. Florence Price, you know, as an example, or George Walker. And, uh, you know, with which also range in the most, and Florence Price is, uh, you know, is much more folksy in this particular piece of hers and you know she has a special called the Juba dance which comes out of you know the uh, early part of the 20th century late 19th century but George Walker is much more of a uh, you know mid 20th century contemporary composer his music's a little edgier and then of course to balance that off we have the Mendelssohn Italian Symphony which is again the most beloved works. And then uh, you know, we finish off our significant uh, concert series with uh, you know the Debussy that I've mentioned, but also the Schumann Spring Symphony, which seems appropriate you know in the month of May. Although of course for us who live in Colorado, we never know exactly when May is going to, or when spring is going to arrive. But uh, you know that Schumann's work just explodes with exuberance, which uh, you know again, in spring is a season of hope. And then, you know, the other thing that's going to happen is that finally we get to do our Pops concert called Lost in Space that was removed off the table because of the pandemic. And so a year later, um, actually, it's, uh, yeah, a year later, um, but, uh, you know, we get to Aaron McDonald, who is an astrophysicist, and all these pieces that are connected with sci-fi movies or television series. And so, you know, it really covers the gamut as far as... Uh, you know, musical emotion. The
0: Fort Collins Symphony's signature concert number two happens on November 6th at 7.30 p.m., and there's a replay on November 14th at 2 o'clock p.m. Both happen at the Lincoln Center in Fort Collins, and tickets can be found by visiting fcsymphony.org. Following this upcoming signature concert, there are going to be two more signature concerts, one on February 5th of next year, and one in March of next year. Additionally, there's going to be the Pops concert, which is Lost, Get Lost in Space, which will be at the Timberline Church in March as well. Once again, that website is fcsymphony.org to learn more or to look at tickets. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now we're going to be right back with COVID-19 news.
3: Support for KCSU comes from the Fort Collins Book Fest, October 22nd through the 24th. The Fort Collins Book Fest features slasher stories, romance novels, poetry, and more. The event is open to the public and offers more than 35 award-winning authors and speakers, including festival headliner Callie Fajardo-Anstein, author of Sabrina and Corina horror writer Stephen Graham Jones, and experimental poet Anne Waldman. Attendees can enjoy book talks, writing workshops, and author readings, both in person or streaming online. More information is available at FocoBookFest.org.
0: And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Cutta Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Thursday. Colorado State University reports just under 90% of all students, staff, and faculty at the university are vaccinated against the virus that causes COVID-19. The university reports that since May 2020, over 3,800 students, and staff, and faculty tested positive for COVID-19. Larimer County and the Centers for Disease Control report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. The the county began enforcing a mask mandate, which requires masks in all public places Wednesday. Larimer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you are not already. Wear masks, including in, in, in private indoor spaces, if members of another household are present. Be sure your mask has a snug fit, and consider wearing a KN95 mask. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of invited households. If the event is indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Monitor your health and get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or symptoms. Larimer County reports nearly 38,900 cases of COVID-19, along with 311 deaths. The weekly case rate for the county sits at 264 cases per 100,000 residents. And 98 COVID-19 patients receive treatment in area hospitals. Intensive care units in the county are completely full, with hospitals reporting 108% utilization. The state of Colorado reports over 714,000 cases, along with over 8,000 deaths due to COVID-19. In the state, over 7.5 million vaccines have been administered, with over 3.5 Coloradans fully immunized against the virus that causes COVID-19. Around 78% of eligible individuals have received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. The Centers for Disease Control reports over 45 million total cases of COVID-19 in the United States, along with over 728,000 Americans dead as a result of COVID-19. About 77% of the population over the age of 12 received at least one dose of of an approved vaccine, but community transmission remains high across the country. Information from today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the Centers for Disease Control. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 FM. If you missed any part of today's episode so far, be sure to check us out on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts by searching KCSU News. You can also follow us there to stay in tune with all of the newest updates in news, sports, and weather. From Kenneth Frederick of CTV, here is tonight's preview for CTV 11. Tonight on CTV 11, hear from Natalie Devereaux about the emails being sent out to unvaccinated students on campus. CSU just opened up its new cannabinoid research center, and hear from Kenneth Frederick to know what to expect. Morgan Gardner will let you know what the weather will look like for this weekend. Find out how Cameron Evig thinks the Rams will do against Utah State, and Tom Isaacson will tell us about spooky tales of a Fort Collins ghost tour. All that and more on CTV Channel 11, tonight at 7 p.m. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Cutta Babcock, and this is Tech News for Thursday, October 21st. A new virtual reality treatment for children with lazy eyes received Food and Drug Administration approval. According to Nicole Westman at The Verge, lazy eye is the colloquial term for amblyopia, which impacts around 3% of children. Amblyopia is caused in development when the brain and eyes struggle to communicate, which leads the brain to favor one eye more, and that eye becomes the dominant eye. This new VR treatment would allow children dealing with this disorder to watch modified versions of shows and movies to help enhance the performance of their less dominant eye. Common treatments for this previously included putting an eye patch over the stronger eye to train the brain to rely more on the other. The company pioneering this new option is Luminopia, and the technology changes the two images seen by each eye in the VR headset so that the brain has to work with both eyes to completely and properly understand the content. After 12 weeks of study, where patients watched one hour per day, six out of seven weekdays, over 60% of the children saw strong improvement in their vision. The company offers patients over 700 hours of programming to choose from. Senator Richard Blumenthal, who represents the state of Connecticut, asked Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg to testify before a panel on Instagram's impact on children. According to Marcy Gordon at the Associated Press, this comes after the panel heard a variety of criticisms from former employee and whistleblower Francis Haugen on Facebook's alleged profit-focused actions. In Blumenthal's letter to Zuckerberg, he said, quote, "...parents across America are deeply disturbed by ongoing reports that Facebook knows that Instagram can cause destructive and lasting harms to many teens and children, especially to their mental health and well-being," end quote. Blumenthal said that in the absence of Zuckerberg, Instagram head Adam Mazzari could also appear before the committee. A spokesperson for Facebook confirmed the letter was received, but the company has not yet commented on this request so far. Drone company Aero Cameras is now using a team of drone operators to help save dogs that were stranded by a volcano in Spain. According to Bill Chappelle at National Public Radio, the drone operators recently received the proper permits, and cargo drones can carry up to 50 pounds per flight. The drone operators intend to trap the dogs in nets and then carry them to safety. Aero Camera CEO Jaime Pereira said of the situation, quote, It's the first time an animal is being rescued with a drone. If that's the last option that the dogs have, then we're going after them. End quote. Between three and four dogs are expected to be rescued, with drones previously delivering food and water to dogs and other animals trapped by lava in the village. Drone operators will only have eight minutes to get the dog into a net and fly it over the lava. While helicopters were being looked at to save the animals originally, the plan wouldn't have worked due to the risk of ash and volcanic rocks. That's all for tech news. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5. If you missed any of today's episode of the Rocky Mountain Review, be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify by searching KCSU News. You can also follow us there to always be up to date on Fort Collins and national issues. Today, we saw warm weather and partly cloudy skies with a high of 69 and a low of 37. Moving into Friday, temperatures will rise to a high of 72 with a low of 39, and Saturday will cool back down as clouds roll in to a high of 68 and a low of 41. Sunday will be partly cloudy with a high of 66 and a low of 38, and Monday we'll see a high of 70 with a low of 43. Tuesday follows the trend with a high of 66 and a low of 39, and for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in to Tuesday's episode of the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Coda Babcock, and information comes from the Weather Channel.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now.
0: We'd like to thank our guests today as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Eric, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsey Johnson, Eliza Droder, Samuel Bailey, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabe, Marie Tanksley, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie.
1: And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that,
0: we'll see you next time.